2 Corinthians chapter 3, the ministry of the Spirit. Ministry of the Spirit is what we're going to be talking about in this passage this morning. For those visiting, we are walking through 2 Corinthians, and so we um, just really take it verse by verse and section by section as we look at the passage. (coughs) Excuse me. And uh, we've been looking over the ministry of the Spirit, and this passage starts with Paul. writing to the Corinthian believers who's really writing about false teachers that had come in and they're teaching another gospel. And uh, there were letters of commendation that were saying, hey, here's who we are. And Paul was saying that I really don't need a letter of commendation for you because uh, I've ministered to you personally. There are people that came to know Christ personally through Paul's ministry. And uh, it goes on to say that they are his letter. And uh, in doing so, he walks through here and I uh, guess several doctrines that are worthy of note, and in particular, he's talking about the old covenant as compared to the new. And this comes to at least last week, we ended with verse 12 and reflecting over the authority that the new covenant, the new promise has in Christ. That the old covenant was temporary, it was transitionary. It was given as a sign of Moses who went to the mount to get the commandments from God. And he comes down and his face shines with glory so that he has to put a veil upon his face. And he puts this veil on his face and uh, gives this specific in the Old Testament because the people were afraid to look at him. And uh, so he puts the veil upon his face and he takes his veil off when he's with the Lord, when he's talking uh, with the Lord specifically. Uh, But that veil stays on his face. And uh, that was a transitionary covenant. It was was even given in the sign of Moses' face shining with the glory of God. That that would at some point either fade away or end through Moses' death, that that glory would no longer be transparent. It did come with glory. It was a a miraculous and wonderful thing to receive the commandments of God and this covenant that God had made with his people. But this is now compared with the new covenant that is of the Spirit and through the Spirit. And uh, as a comparison, that which was temporal or temporary would pass away when the new covenant would be established as we know as the New Testament or the new promise that Christ fulfilled the Old Testament letter of the law and going to the cross to die for man's sin, to make a way for man to be redeemed, doing for man what man could not do. Now, we are looking at the glory of this New Testament that is born about as a role of the Holy Spirit working in hearts, a ministry of the Spirit. So that's what we're looking at this morning. He's going to address a very specific thing as we get into it. We need the Lord today? Well, I needed him yesterday and I need him today. I think you're probably right there with me. There are some things then as we step into this that we'll note. Going back to verse 12, seeing then that we have such hope, this is verse 12, 2 Corinthians 3, we use great plainness of speech. The word plainness we talked about last week, and it really has the idea of uh, that which is clearly understood, unveiled, but it also has with it the connotation of being bold. We have a boldness here because there's a covenant that's been revealed in the New Testament that the Lord has given us something that remains, okay? And really, if we can back up to verses 10 and 11 just to get a run into where we are. For even that which was made glorious, that is the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, uh, had no glory in this respect, as in comparison, had no glory by reason of the glory that excelleth. What glory is excelling? The glory of this new ministry born of the Spirit, that is the ministry of the fulfillment of the gospel in Christ, for in verse 11, for if that which is done away was glorious, and indeed it was, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Now, that being true, you have the seeing then. Seeing then, we live doctrinally in a glorious time. The, the glory of the doctrine is that which was a mystery is now revealed. That which was, which was done through the, all the giving of the law to, it, to God's people, 
the sacrificing of animals, the, the coming together uh, as a nation several times in the year and having a temple and all that was going on with the priests and offering those sacrifices, all those were pointing to a promise that would come. And when that promise came, that Messiah who would come to be that sacrifice that would end all sacrifices, when that would come, it would put to rest all the other sacrifices that were looking forward to the Jesus, the Savior that would come. And there is, as you're going to see in this passage, hopefully we get there, uh, that there is a final resting in that promise that is, again, truly glorious as comparison to the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. All right, so there is then a boldness that we have, and that boldness that we have is that there is a Savior. Amen? There's a Savior. And that Savior's name is? That Savior's name is Jesus. The scriptures are clear. I mean, we go back to uh, basic verses that we know that the way of salvation uh, given throughout the New Testament is, is incredibly clear. There's only one name given among men whereby we can be saved, and whose name is it? It's Jesus, all right? So John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should what? Not perish, but have everlasting life for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved he that believeth not is condemned he that believe, he that believeth yeah <laughs> how's it go all right now I'm lost you're gonna get you're gonna help me but I'm not gonna get there he that believeth not is condemned is that how it goes I always get them mixed up so all right we better stop or we're gonna start speaking in tongues here all right so <clears throat> John 3, 18, he that believeth on him, there it is, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already or even now because he has not believed in the name of the only God and Son of God. All right, so here's, here's the doctrine. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son has not life, 1 John 5, 12. And on, 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 on it goes in Scripture. There's one name. His name is Jesus. We know in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We get today to go out and boldly declare there's a way to be saved and it's through the person of Jesus. And that is to give us a plainness of speech. It's not hard, it's not difficult. We wanna be saved? There aren't a bunch of lists of things to do. Come to Christ, amen? Respond to the gospel, respond to the invitation. Come to Jesus, come to Jesus is the plainness of speech and we can speak that with boldness. And that's what is being commended in verse 12. Now, verse 13, as we look at this ministry of the Spirit, we're going to pick up here and walk through. And, as, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. When it says, and not as Moses, this great plainness of speech, this clarity of what has happened through the gospel is not like what was going on with Moses where there was a veil over his face, and it goes on to say that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. In other words, it was uncertain to them. It was uncertain to, all right, when would the Messiah come? What would this look like? And we understand this when we read our Bibles. As a matter of fact, what was the number one, uh, I, I call it the number one, what's the number one issue that the Jews of Jesus' day had? The question was, are you here to do what? Are you here to set up your what? And when? Now, so this was the question, have you come to set up your kingdom now. And this was their expectation, that Jesus would be setting up his kingdom, restore Israel, and all their preconceived notions of what they were reading, they were not really seeing in that what Jesus had come to do. So they could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was abolished. So the plainness of speech, that which could be boldly told and clearly understood, was not like Moses and the glory that his face radiated and which would pass away. The children of Israel could not see the end of that glory which was fading. All that it meant was veiled to them. Even the significance of its doctrinal meaning was not clearly seen or understood. And I would even argue that was probably true, as I said last week, probably true of Moses as well. He probably did not know, in my estimation, all the significance of his face radiating the glory of God. 
Uh, I don't think that when he went up to the mountain that he thought he had come back with that sign. But that is something that he then lived with and I'm sure questioned and wondered and didn't probably give a whole lot of thought of, I kind of wonder if Moses woke up every day wondering, is it still there? (laughs) Is it shining like it was yesterday? Is it fading? uh, There's some mystery behind that. But the significance of it all, I think, was lost even on Moses. They continued to not understand that the old covenant was transitionary or transitory and spoke to a fulfillment that would be in the future. In verse 14, we now have an illustration that is worthy of note, okay? So verse 13, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were what? Say it again, their minds were? Their minds were blinded. He goes on to say, for until this day remaineth the same veil, what? Untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. All right. Now I'm gonna gonna do a few things here. First of all, blindness is a hard thing. Blindness is a difficult thing uh, to live with, to deal with. Thank the Lord for the graces that are given for people that are blind to help. But no matter how you look at it, blindness is hard. Would we agree? Okay. I remember one time, you guys remember the days, back in the days when there were uh, sun tanning lamps? Remember those things? Um, I remember I was a teenager uh, my mom had one of those. And uh, I don't know if my mom had it or my sister had it, but whatever, they, were, they had it on in the room. My mom was in my sister's room. My sister was walking around in the room and my mom was talking to her as she was kind of under this lamp. And uh, she didn't realize, but as she was under the lamp, she had forgotten to put something over her eyes. And so while she was sitting under that lamp and talking to my sister throughout the room, her eyes got sunburned. And she literally burned her eyes, and very, very, very painful. But then she had to go, I don't remember how long it was, I know it was at least several days, maybe a week, where she had to have patches over both her eyes where they could heal. I still remember the sympathy. Matter of fact, I was, I was not in my mom's room, but I, we had a tray that had a big lip on it, and we put that near her bed so that she could get her water, feel over the lip, get it out of, you know, kind of feel where it was. I remember being out of the room and hearing my mom's glass fall to the ground because she couldn't find uh, where to put it. I just remember the heartache. Uh, and when that happened, by the way, we didn't know if she'd ever see again. Uh, we didn't know what, the scenario, by God's grace, she was able to. But in that short little illustration, it began to give you some sense of what it meant to be blind. <laughs> You guys are not going to like my parenting. I'm going to tell on myself, okay? There was one time where, where one of my kids had a pokey thing, and uh, they were upset with someone, and they acted like they were going to poke them. And it got either close to another person's eye or something like that. So what I did, you can call it child abuse, you can call it what you want, uh, I, I put patches over that child's eyes and I made them be blind for I, uh, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it was to experience life blind, to teach them not to play around with your anger that way because it's such a serious thing. Well, blindness is hard and you're gonna find in scripture that God actually condemns a particular kind of blindness. Now, we don't think in that context because we recognize blindness as a human malady that is very difficult to navigate in life, but yet God speaks negatively towards a spiritual blindness to which he speaks of here. Now, something interesting about blindness. You look at this word in other translations and it uses a different word. And and by the way, for those that worry over these types of things, the reason some other translations would translate this differently is because the word means 
actually two things at once. So you will read in some translations where it says, but their minds were blinded. There's another word that's used. Some of you may have that tra another translation that says it this way. And it says, the word instead of blinded is hardened. Okay, so here's, here's why. That word means, literally, it means to be turned to stone, or it also has a connotation of something that was petrified, something that had turned to stone over time. So the condemnation here was that there was a hardness of heart that translated itself in a spiritual blindness. That's what's being spoken of. Now, how serious is this? Well, it goes back to the Old Testament. You can see it as God dealt with his people in Jeremiah chapter five. If you want to take your Bibles there, it might be helpful because I'm going to reference that for a little bit. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter five. In Jeremiah chapter five, in verses one through 13, there is a call to, there's been a call to repentance and Jerusalem is refusing to repent. So look at that, we just covered 13 verses, okay? So Jeremiah five, one through 13, there was a call to repentance. There was a call to repentance, but a refusal to repent. And following that in verses 14, you begin to read the indictments that God had to Jerusalem. So in verse 14, let me pick up there. One more page. Jeremiah 5 in verse 14, we're going to read. Wherefore thus saith the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire, and this people would, and it shall what? Devour them. Lo, I will bring a nation upon you from, a, from far, uh, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. It is a mighty nation, it is an ancient nation, a nation whose language thou knowest not, neither understandest what they say. Verse 16, Jeremiah 5. Their quiver is as an open sepulcher, they are all mighty men, and they shall eat up thine harvest and thy bread, which, which thy sons and thy daughters should eat. They shall eat up thy flocks and thine herds. They shall eat up thy vines and thy fig trees. They shall impoverish thy fenced cities wherein thou trustest with the sword. Nevertheless, in those days, saith the Lord, I will not make a full end with you. There's a lot to be said there. Verse 19, moving forward. And it shall come to pass when you shall say, wherefore doth the Lord our God all these things unto us? Then shalt thou answer them, like as ye have forsaken me, and have served strange gods in your land, so shall you serve strangers in a, land, in a land that is not yours. Declare this in the house of Jacob and publish it in Judah saying, hear now this. Read verse 21 out loud with me, starting again. Read verse 21 out loud with me. Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. Now I'm gonna pick up there again. It says, fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand <coughs> for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass it? And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail? Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it? And it goes on and declares the glory of God. Now, here's the point. God's people had turned their backs on God. And as a result in verse 21, you hear this statement, and without understanding, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have what? Eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. So what God is speaking to here is a spiritual blindness. Have you ever heard the phrase, there are none so blind as those who will not see. There are none so blind as those who will not see. There is a stubbornness to refuse to acknowledge God, a, stubborn, a stubbornness to refuse to see the plain and clear teaching of God. And as a result, we both know from the Old Testament, and the new, that there is then a turning over to their blindness 
to follow their own blind way. Now this, this, um, this indictment against blindness is seen somewhere else if you take your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. There is a problem at the beginning of this chapter, Matthew 15, where we read in verses one and two, then came to Jesus' scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. There's a lot of discourse that happens after that. But in verse 13 and 14, he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father hath not planted shall be uprooted or rooted up. But then verse 14, let them alone, they be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, what does it say? Both shall fall into the ditch. Now, here is the indictment. The indictment is not for a, obviously, for a physical blindness. Matter of fact, we know the miracles that our Lord did, that he restored people's sight. He is compassionate to those who cannot see. However, you will find the, the sure hand of judgment against a heart that rebels against him and chooses to be blind. Do you know that experience in your life? Uh, <laughs> now, uh, uh, I'm not saying that my kids aren't angels. They are, I'm sure. And, and, and they surely would not say that dad is not angelic. <laughs> but there, any of the rest of you, you kind of got code in your language. You kind of got code when your family, you kind of understand. So I, I hate to say it's true, but it tends to be true that there are times when I've tried to instruct my kids through the years where they have not been receptive. I, I, I don't, I, I can't imagine. Maybe once or twice is all, I'm sure. But kids know, my kids know, that if I've tried to speak something to them, and by the way, I can do the same, but if I've, if I've spoken something to them that is trying to guide or direct and, and they aren't really listening and they have a different plan, I, I have a one word very clearly understood statement. And sometimes I expand on it with making it instead of one word, three words. That one word is fine. The three word statement is fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. And it was mom who first noted, I think when he says that, he means the opposite. <laughs> I think when he says that, you probably better, better not go ahead. But here's the thing. We're, we're, we all, we all have in us a rebellion or a stubbornness. And sometimes all of us can have a spirit of disposition that is refusing to listen to what God says. But when we refuse to listen to God, we are spiritually blind. And it's not rocket science. It's not deep. It's not hard. When you are going through life blind, are good things going to happen? Let me ask you something. How blind are we as a nation right now? You think we're pretty blind? The Bible says in Proverbs twice, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but what? The end thereof are the ways of death. I, I mean, so many times it's like, man, we're just making this stuff up as we go. Without any reference to history, without any reference to a God that would teach us, and no wonder we look foolish. Now, is this new? 
Is this new, what God, what God does? No, he did it in the Old Testament and he does it now. Look at Romans chapter one, if you would. I'm gonna read a larger section, Romans one. Blind leaders of the blind. By the way, Tuesday night, I'm gonna do some blind leading of the blind by actually sharing a video of some churches, at least one church, this Tuesday night. This Tuesday night, I'm gonna do a, uh, uh, our study over how people are being deceived and how people are being led by those that are blind. And how, what scares me is how many people are willing to follow it, okay? There is no protection for any of us when we, when we walk in the dark. When we walk opposed to God, there is no good thing that's going to come from that. But, oh, by the way, this crosses the platform. This is certainly true. In John 3, 19 through 21, the reason the unsaved love darkness is because their deeds are evil and they don't want to be reproved by the light, so they run from the light. But however, a believer can backslide and can live in a place of rebellion. True? So the message is really universal. Yes, it's gospel-centered. Come to the light. Come to Jesus. But as a follower of Christ, follow the light. Follow who Jesus is. Follow the truth of his word. But when we don't, we start in verse 18 of Romans 1 where there is, a, there is a judgment, a righteous judgment of God. What does God do? Does God look at a fallen world in rebellion to him and say, huh, oh well, I guess they're just gonna do their thing. And God doesn't stand outside of that and say, hmm, well, I hope that works out. Instead, it, it evokes from God a response. And this response of being willing to walk through life blind evokes this kind of response, especially in regards to the gospel, which this is largely the context of Romans 1. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. When it says the wrath of God is revealed, it means it is open to display and will be seen. Who hold the truth, and the word hold the truth there, that idea hold is actually to suppress. That's what the word hold in that translation means. Who suppress, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So they may know what is true, but they suppress it or hold it back or push it down. That's the idea of the word hold in verse 18. Now it goes on to say, because that which may be known of God is manifest where? Where is it manifest? Say it again. In them. For God has what? Shown or showed it to them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are what? Clearly seen. Now it's not that they're just clearly, clearly seen. But it goes on to say that it goes deeper than that, being understood. So even in unsaved man, there is the knowledge of God, the clear evidence of who he is, and the rejection of that evidence and of his authority while they understand it. Being understood by the things that are made, even his what, eternal power and Godhead, everybody read the last phrase, so that they are without excuse. Now he's gonna give another because, you had a because in verse 19, because in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were what? Thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was blindness. Darkness. Translated applicationally is the idea of blindness. Their foolish heart was darkened. And here at the same time, while they are stepping into darkness, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now, why? I don't know why. It just happens, okay? I got a boy who's almost five. I think God gave me Joe so I could illustrate things to you. Um, <laughs> Joe is sitting on our bed, and he's, he's just being a five-year-old boy. He's, he's, bless him, he's a great guy. 
but he puts a cardboard box over his head. He's standing on our bed. He likes to jump up and down our bed, and he's got the cardboard box on his, on his head. And that's not enough. It's not exciting enough. What's he got to do? He's got to jump, of course. So he's got a box on his head. He's jumping up and down, and he's going to jump. And mom and I are saying, Joe. And he, and he stops, and he kind of turns his body towards us. He can't see us. Turns his body towards Joe, you probably shouldn't jump with the box on your head. Now, mom, in her compassion, we're probably more direct in saying, now, son, don't do that. I'm like, fine, go ahead. <laughs> See, it's not good parenting on one of us, okay? So <laughs> the fact that my kids are alive, that lady right there. <laughs> uh, but good things don't, because if you've seen it where kids, they decide to experiment with this kind of thing and put a box or something on their head and, and then I'm gonna run through the house. John's, uh, John, <laughs> Joseph's little statement at the end of it, well, I can see right under here. Well, he's five, right? Now, we look at a kid doing that, I'm like, okay, what do we think? You can finish this phrase any number of ways. Don't be, some of you said, stupid. <laughs> some of us would say, don't be foolish, don't be dumb, don't, you know, whatever. Why? Because good things aren't going to happen, right? All right, here we are. In verse 22, people that are blind think, they got, they think they've got something new, that they've got figured out that nobody else knows, and this is really going to be a good thing. Professing themselves to be wise, they became, what? Fools. Now, this is how foolish it becomes. They change the glory of the uncorruptible God, the one who they know about, who know is, know is there, the one who is really the creator of all things, one that they know did that. They changed his glory <coughs> into an image made like the corruptible man. I ought to get pretty close to home in the world's scheme of things and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Then you have another response of God. So you have for the wrath of God in verse 18. But here in verse 24, wherefore God also, read it out loud, gave them up. And it goes on to say to uncleanness, through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever and all God's people said. All right, now listen. We live in a world, if this was ever on display, it's certainly on display right now, right? Are we, are we together in this? We understand what we're seeing in the world? We're seeing a, a foolish world that thinks they know something better than God, thinks they can give glory to their own flesh, their own desires, and that they can just have all they want, then everything will be just, just the happiest life possible. And when you choose to turn your back on God, now I don't mean this disrespectfully, God says, go ahead. There's nobody ever lived a life apart from God that escaped the judgment of God. Nobody, nobody. Nobody's going to escape hell without Christ, nobody. Nobody's gonna find a new creative way to get to heaven that gets them there outside of Jesus. It's just not gonna happen. And you are not gonna be able to defy any of the truths of God and find blessing. You all know, Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived, what? God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, what? That shall he also reap. It's not rocket science. But there's no wonder today that we live in a world where the whole, the whole, whatever the alphabet acronym is, LGBTQ, whatever it all is, there's no wonder that we're seeing such a heightened elevation of these things. I'm walking through 
Walmart, yes, it's so common anymore. Walking through Walmart, I'm looking at somebody and, and I, I think at first that's a girl, but that ain't a girl. That's a guy putting on a girl uh, look. And you say, how do you know? Sometimes you just know. And by the way, there are some, if you haven't seen, there are some pretty good uh, costumes out there where people can really make themselves look like, uh, by the way, I saw it twice. I saw one where a guy was trying to be a girl and I saw another where a lady was trying to be a man. Both in the one, one hour trip at Walmart. And it's all over the place. Why is that becoming more prevalent? Because we have an increasing growth in a nation of people that refuse to obey God. It's not rocket science. So I, I, I'm, I am so deep. I am so profound. You, know, you want to know something I know? Here's something I know. There are only two genders. <laughs> I know, man. I, who knew that I could be so smart? And yet, and yet you listen to the world on this and you are a hater if you believe the Bible. I'm gonna tell you something, folks. We want to love the lost, but we have to love the Lord most. People who are living out the manifestation of what you're seeing in Romans 1 are not our enemies. Even though they may hate you, they need the love of Christ. They need a kind and compassionate truth telling. To speak boldly the doctrines of the Bible, unashamedly, with a backbone, standing in your love for Christ because God is the truth and God has given the truth, and no matter how creative man may be in their lies and in their foolishness, a person's blindness does not make them spiritually right. We are all lost without Christ. Every one of us, and no lost person on the planet, no matter how vile they may be, would outdo any of us without Christ. We are sinners too and need saving. The choice of the heart today for, for everyone on the planet is will you repent and come to the Jesus of the Bible? Will you have a change of mind about the Savior? Will you have a change of mind that your sin is not okay? Your sin will damn you if you don't have a savior. It doesn't matter what sin the, the world chooses to focus on. If the world today started saying, hey, you know, we, we've changed our mind. You know, drinking as much alcohol as you can is a great thing. We still have a Bible that tells us how to live. We live in a world that says marriage doesn't matter. Matter of fact, we talked about this the other day at the Valentine's Banquet. More and more people aren't getting married because not only do they see the failure of marriage, but they just don't see the need of it. It really doesn't matter what the world says. You have a God who's told you his mind. And we will either live surrendered to that God or in rebellion to him, no good thing comes from that rebellion. This veil of unbelief, you might think we've gotten lost, but we have in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 3, but their minds were blinded for until this day remained the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. The veil of unbelief that covers their hearts, can you hear this? Can only be taken away in Christ. The veil of blindness can only be taken away in Christ. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound 
that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. All right, spiritually loaded question. Do you see? Can you see? If you can see that Jesus is the Savior, would you say amen? amen. If you can see so much so that you've placed it, you have placed your faith in Christ, would you say amen? amen? This is the glory of God's revealed mystery. A Savior would come. There'd be a new promise, a new covenant that would end all sacrifices. And it's found in Jesus. Read verses 15, I'll read verse 15 and 16 of 2 Corinthians 3. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, can you read that last phrase? The veil shall be taken away. Praise God. Praise God. There's a reason the world seems nuts to you. Because the world outside of Christ is walking around blind. What kind of dumb things are we doing? If we had time, could we write them all down? I don't know about you, but a lot of us are getting checks in the mail from the government that apparently all you gotta do is print some more money. And then everybody will be rich. Is it gonna work that way? Is it gonna work like that? What's the natural effect of arbitrarily saying, I'm just gonna give money away? What's the natural effect? If you didn't say inflation, maybe you had another answer, I don't know. But inflation is the natural result of just printing more money. Is that true? Is that really hard to understand? No. But that's what we're doing. Is it going to go well when we are sending our children to schools where they're teaching them as young as five and six years of, of age that this little boy may not actually be a boy? Is that gonna turn out well? I would argue that much of what is happening through this politic, politically correct um, sexual orientation is actually child abuse. And all the while, matter of fact, I can't tell you how many times when you hear these things in debate, but all the scientists agree that there aren't just two genders. Then all the scientists are fools. And being a scientist obviously doesn't make you as smart as a child can be when they believe the Bible. And I know that I'm picking on that one issue, but that is the issue in society that is kind of ringing its bell today. But really this is, a tr this is truth across the spectrum of the truths that God has given. When God says something, it is so. And it really doesn't matter if everybody on the planet decides not to believe him. So you got a choice. Are you going to believe that God created in six days and rested the seventh? Are you gonna believe it? Are you gonna believe that God made an Adam and an Eve? He made Adam out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Are you gonna believe that? Or are you gonna believe that we came out of some kind of cosmic big bang that nobody knows where that came from? Are you gonna believe that God is the one that ordained marriage between a man and a woman? Are you gonna believe that God is the one who actually establishes the church? Are you gonna believe that God says, hey, lying is not a good thing. You should not lie, bear false witness. Are we gonna believe it? 
Are we going to believe that we should avoid fornication, avoid uh, adultery, and avoid those, those impulses that would take us away from being a holy people? Are we going to believe it? You have to make a choice. Without regard to what everybody else does. You see, we have a choice to make of whether or not we're going to be blind. You do have a choice. We can argue, and I'm going to talk about this on Tuesday, but I'm going to just you know, cut to the chase. If you don't want to be blind, you've got to have Jesus. You've got to have Jesus. So, young people, particularly in this room, you have a blessing in that your parents got you here today. But your parents getting you here doesn't mean that you necessarily believe like your parents do. And sitting in this room and hearing this preacher go on certainly doesn't make you believe everything that I've said. Matter of fact, I appreciate the testimony. <laughs> I had a young man come back recently and uh, he grew up in the church and uh, he said, Pastor, I have to admit, when you were preaching, I just kept saying my mind, my mind, when is he gonna be done? <laughs> and here's the answer, not for a long time. <laughs> no, just kidding, just kidding. Um, it just feels like a long time. Um, I appreciate the testimony of that. Here, here's what they said, and this was a sweet thing. And they hadn't been here for a while, but they said, I just want you to know, while that's what I felt then, he said today, in my heart, you could have gone on for a long time. Well, that was a blessing to hear. But here's where we are today. And I think it's, we've gotta be careful about how we, I, I pray at the beginning that we would have a rightly dividing of the word, but then a, an appropriate and pragmatic, a, a doctrinally correct application to the word. And that's still my prayer here at the end of this message this morning. I'm looking out across this room. And for all of you that know Christ as your savior, you are a disciple maker. You're going out into the world with the truth. So I've got a question for you. Does the world need to hear it? Now, I'm not just talking. I, I obviously believe that's true regarding the gospel, right? But there's all kind of false doctrine out there as well. And you're the ambassador of Christ. So I'll, I'll give you a little snippet if you weren't here Tuesday. Here's a little snippet. Um, I, am, I am totally bleeding over into Tuesday night right now. But I'll give you a snippet. I got a call on Tuesday from a lady in Philadelphia. And she said, Pastor, I need you to, I, I need to, she, she started, I said hello and off she went. And uh, anyway, she said, I need you to pray for a confirmation of the Holy Spirit that we need to invite Jesus. We need to invite Jesus and his army of angels to come. And her, her application was to reach the lost and there were a specific group of people that she was talking about. And then I asked her, I said, you know, after a while of going, I got her name and I said, ma'am, can you, can you answer this for me? What, what verse in the Bible are you operating off of? And she gave me, she said, well, Matthew 5, thy kingdom come. So I've got a question. Now, I don't, I don't know, maybe you, you'll sort this out over lunch, Okay. Does Jesus need to be invited? Okay, I'm saying that with an expression because first of all, her premise that Jesus needs to be invited, I got a little bit of trouble with. But secondly, when she, when she says that he would bring his holy, holy army of angels with him and the application was to reach the lost, I, I'm just saying Angels have not been given that message. 
You know who's been given that message? Guess who the angels are? Didn't know you were an angel, did you? <clears throat> well, what's, what's the most common definition of an angel? I'm not saying there aren't spiritual beings, there are. But an angel was a, there you go. Guess who the messengers are? You. You're the messenger. The world needs this message. Now, this is my closing illustration, and that is, I, I want to, again, say this. Because someone believes something, you with me? Because somebody believes something does not make it so. Just because you believe something doesn't make, you, make it so. Now, combine that with the fact, are you stubborn? Come on, tell the truth. Are you stubborn? Does it help you to look at the person next to you and say, yes, you are? <clears throat> That's probably not a good idea with Valentine's tomorrow. All right. But you add our own stubbornness to this and we can all be here. We can live as if our perceptions are so, even when they're not. There's only one savior of that and that is the truth and that is Jesus. Now, I've had the experience, folks. I, I've gone to speak to people that have had problems and I've tried to convey the truth. And this is no indictment against any of those people that I may speak to because I could do the same. But there are none so blind as those that will not see. What I've said, what I believe is so no matter what anybody says. Well, there's only one person that can say what truth is, no matter what everybody says, and that's God. So this morning, the invitation is manyfold. If you're lost, you'll not find life by walking in the darkness apart from Christ. You've got to have Jesus. You've gotta have Christ. Understand the clarity, the boldness of verse 12. There is no hope outside of him. The gospel is incredibly clear. The world needs Jesus. Believer, you needed Jesus to be saved. Believer, you need Jesus today. You need Jesus to protect you from false doctrine. You need Jesus to protect you from the false narrative of the world. If you're looking to any kind of news source to be the declaration of truth, you're going to keep walking away frustrated. We all need God's help to navigate this planet. So in humility, we've got to come to Christ. Lord, lead me. You know the verses. Trust the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall what? He'll direct your paths. It does say this as well. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil.